Welcome to the Conquer Your Draft Podcast, where fantasy champions are made. Welcome back to the Conquer Your Draft Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Josh, and with me, as always, is Mike. How you doing today, Mike? Well, I'm. I was four for four on my picks this weekend, um, but the, of course, the bill—that means the Bills lost. So mixed feelings, but unfortunately, I kind of saw it coming. Yeah, yeah, bittersweet victory for you. Yeah, because hey, I was right, <laughs> and what happened happened. But I, I hate that I was right. Because it just means, you know, at the end of the day, Josh Allen isn't there yet. Yeah, the uh, the Bills just as a whole seemed off. Their defense couldn't really make any stops. Josh Allen wasn't really doing anything magical. The run game wasn't doing anything. Like, it was just... Since he was doing everything right and Buffalo was struggling to do anything the right way. Yeah, and that was kind of what I thought was going to happen. And that's what's sad about it is the game kind of went exactly the direction I thought. Um, And the Bills, from the opening drive, never had a chance. Like, it was just so clear that the Bengals were going to be able to move the ball well. They were going to be able to be efficient. They stayed ahead, I think, the whole game. And the Bills never really got close. Like, the score wasn't outrageous, but I'm more talking about in watching the games. If I were to sit there and, like, actually analyze the game, I'm sure the stats are fine. But it was watching it, it was never close. Like, there's no way you can fool yourself into saying that was close. Buffalo had no chance, and that was apparent from the beginning. And I think that that's not a great sign for that franchise, for what they're try to do. And as a Bills fan, obviously, I care more <laughs> and want to talk about them a lot, but they've got a lot of work to do because you're right. Run game, non-existent. Offense, non-existent. Defense couldn't do anything against the Bengals. Like the Bengals just, when they needed to score, they scored. And there was no question. So there's there like a Joe lot of, a lot of just wide open plays though. Like I think both of Burroughs touchdown throws were like wide open guys just left alone jamar chase and hayden hurst yeah i think that there were holes for sure um you know it was the bills had a couple decent stops and they they got to them a few times but for the most part you're right like when again when they needed to score the guys found a way to be open and the ball got to them um and you can't say that about the bills like i no no bill player took over that game but joe burrow i think took over that game like he just with confidence knew exactly what he needed to do um and that's what i thought was gonna happen i just the the Bengals have the experience uh and the bills just they just don't yet and they're not going to get it by not winning and i don't know what the solution is smarter people than me will have to figure that out Yes, yeah, as, as a Bills fan, like, what do you think needs to change? Like, what do you think? Back. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with Devin Singletary, but they don't use him. So the Bills are very one-dimensional offensively. Um, yes, Allen can run, so that kind of adds something there. But I think the Bills' defense is generally very good. Their offense is inconsistent. Stefan Diggs is a great big play receiver. He's not your third down experienced tight end 
who you know you can get with the ball. Like they don't have that. They don't have someone who's like, you know what? It's third down. I'm throwing to Randall Cobb. It's third down. He's throwing to Travis Kelsey. It's third down. Like where it just is someone on Andrews like that. They don't, they don't have a player like that. Cause Stefan Diggs, he's a big play receiver, but I don't think he's that consistent check down guy. So I think they need two things. One is a running back and to use a game efficiently with a running back. So they actually feel threatened. Um, even the Bengals, Joe Mixon, he's a threat. You can't not cover Joe Mixon. You would be nope. in trouble. Um, so I think, I think they need that and they need a second receiver who's bet like Dave Davis is clearly not going to be able to do it. Um, the Bengals have like, you could name four players on their offense. Cause like Hurst, Chase, Higgins, Mixon, and then you can even throw Tyler Boyd in there and that that's their offense. So I think the bills to me are missing two key offensive players. Well, the Bengals really like if, if you took T Higgins off of the Bengals and threw him on any other team, mm-hmm. he would probably be their number one receiver. Like yeah, he is that agree. good. But if you took um, Higgins off them, like let's just go with that scenario. If you took Higgins off, are you really looking at still Chase, Hurst, Mixon, and Boyd and being like, this offense is terrible? Oh, Probably no. Not. You're looking no. at it going like, great, <laughs> still good. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he just adds that extra bit of firepower. Totally. But yeah, like comparing them to the Bills, yeah, you're right. Like they have Diggs and then no one Diggs. else. And, yeah, and I think Singletary is a fine player, but they clearly don't use him. No, so maybe so maybe that's just more of an offensive coordinator kind of a thing. Maybe they need to change their offensive scheme to kind of help out Josh Allen a bit more. Um, there there is a bit of drama there with Diggs after the game. I don't know if you you saw any of that. Uh, yeah, well, I saw the tweets or the the posts that he was talking. Like I saw a, a recap of those about how upset he was and how yeah, upset and they played terribly. I saw a report too. Like he was leaving the locker room with all of his stuff before everyone had even finished getting in there. Oh, wow. And then I don't remember which, I think it was one of the running backs. It wasn't Singletary. Um, I think it was one of the running backs brought him back to the locker room. And then he left again a short time later. Like he just wanted nothing to do with it. So that's not good when one of your top two players is in that kind of state of mind. No, no, it's really not um, because he, he like right now him and Allen, that is your offense. So mm-hmm. keeping them happy is key. Like I don't, again, they, the NFL isn't as transparent with salary cap structure and its pay structure um, as the other leagues, or at least I'm not as, I'm not as up to date. Like I can tell you right now how much money each hockey team is spending. Um, so I don't know what their cap situation is, but I've been surprised these past two summers when they didn't add offensive pieces. Like I've been very surprised that they haven't added another piece or two to complement. Like now that they know Allen and Diggs is such, it's such, you know, a great team. Dawson Knox is not working out as a number one tight end. You don't have a second receiver and you're clearly unwilling to use Singletary, which is strange to me. Yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's they don't trust Singletary or they just run up like an air raid style offense, so they don't want to use a running back. Um, I don't know. I mean, it could really go either way. Like maybe they get a stud running back, so then they run more, or maybe they need a different offensive coordinator, and then they run more using Singletary. I I really don't know. Do you think that they expected more out of Gabe Davis this year? Uh 
You know, I don't know. Because, like, they clearly had a plan for him, which was, you're going to be our deep threat. Um, but it seemed like him and Alan struggled. So, yeah, like, I think they used him the way they wanted to. I just think it didn't pay off the way they were hoping it would, you know, like, with... Yeah. A deep bomb each game because, like, we had I think one or two games where he brought in like huge receptions mm-hmm. multiple times, um, and then those games, like, oh yeah, this is working, that's great. But then other times, you know, he throws it to him 30, 40, 50 yards down the field, but then they just never connect. So he yeah. finishes with like one reception for 13 yards in yeah. that game. So I don't know if maybe that's they just need some more time together to kind of get the chemistry and the timing and everything down or it just it doesn't work and they tried and they failed and time to move on I, i'm not really sure yeah yeah no that's fair enough that's a fair assessment yeah i don't uh I, my my thought is just you need those two offensive pieces because you don't have them and if they did they maybe they maybe they wouldn't beat the Bengals still because the Bengals is a great team but i think they would have been a closer game and we i wouldn't be looking at them right now saying they're in trouble because right now they're in trouble. If they can add pieces in the off season, then my opinion is going to change on them. But if they do nothing again, if they stand pat again for a third year in a row, I I just, I don't see why they're going to get a different result next year. Fair enough. You know, what team uh, doesn't have an issue with needing more wide receivers is uh, the Eagles. Yeah. What that, uh, that was a dominant performance by Philadelphia. They crushed them. That was almost boring to watch. It was almost as if they were just like, can we not, we don't want to play this game. Can we just quickly finish these yeah. guys off? Can we like, just wrap this up? Yeah. We got stuff to do yeah. here, guys. Yeah, we're, we're busy. Let's get on. Let's get on with it. Yeah, that was a, oh, that was a dominant performance. Yeah, you're right. Like at the beginning, it was like, wow, like, let's go. Like, this is incredible. Like, I was highly entertained at the start. But then after a while, I'm like, this is <laughs> this isn't what I this is especially coming off of the uh Chiefs uh Jags game that like had a lot of drama and was entertaining. The Philadelphia game was just like, okay, I guess right? it's over. <laughs> yeah. And now I ha- I had mentioned Saquon Barkley as an X Factor. He was averaging almost seven yards a carry. Mm-hmm. Now that's boosted thanks to a long run of just shy of 40 yards. Mm-hmm. But they only gave him nine carries. Now, they were trailing by 28 at halftime, so obviously you can't run it at that point. But that was something I talked about last week was they need to run the ball, grind the clock out, keep Jalen Hurts off the field. And instead, they're like, hey, we're just going to let Danny Dimes here get absolutely run over by this Eagles defense and sacked. And uh, we're going to do nothing. Yeah, and they just they didn't have... They didn't really have much, like, again, other than that really big run by Barkley, like, they didn't have much of a deep threat. Um, They just, their offense wasn't balanced. Like, again, I don't get it either. I would have been even down by a bunch. I still would have been using Saquon out of the backfield, throw it to him, get running, get the running game going. Like, I still would have been doing that, but they just didn't have anything. Like, nothing, nothing for the Giants was working in that game. It was over so quickly and it wasn't even like the bills game over where it's like well they could come back because they have the talent with the giants they just looked like they they were outmatched completely like in a completely different league um oh, and i'm pretty sure yeah. i don't have the stats in front of me but didn't Jalen hurts only have like 150 yards through the air like throwing something like yep. that like he had like a, yeah 
154 and two touchdowns. There you go. That's and and two touchdowns and they won the game. Like they had a bunch of running touchdowns. He he ran it in. Uh, Kenneth uh, Gainwell had an amazing yep. game. Oh, he had um, a very good game. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean that was that was it. They were the game was over. <laughs> they they completely crushed them, and the Eagles are are on their way. Um, I call like from the beginning. I think we all knew the Eagles were were going to be there as long as Hertz was healthy. Um, this is the type of offense that they they are capable of of creating in a game. Well, that was the other thing we talked about last week was, you know, what what version of Hurts are we going to see? Is he yeah. hurt or is he back to his regular self? Mm-hmm. And he, he 100% was back to his regular self. There was no doubt about that. There's a segment for next year. Hurt or Hurts? <laughs> that won't get confusing at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I am looking at the stat line there now, though, and... Barkley's 39 yard carry was the only play the Giants have that was over 20 yards. Okay, so I wasn't I, sure. I thought that that was the case, but I wasn't I wasn't sure. I think that was part of the problem is they never had the explosive plays, you know, like those no. drive changing plays other than that one singular one. Whereas with Hertz, like he was throwing bombs to Devontae Smith, he was throwing to AJ Brown, Dallas Goddard, like he was finding ways to get people open down the field. Um, but yeah, Daniel Jones just didn't have it. And now to be fair, like he didn't really have the time either to uh, sit there and let his receivers run routes down the field because he was getting blitzed yeah. and sacked and rushed so fast. Um, so that's something the Giants will need to figure out moving on to next year because I mean, I, I said it throughout the entire season. Like I don't understand how they finished with the record that they did because their offense was not great. Like they were just, they were somehow getting it done. And I don't know if it was teams playing down to their level or what it was, but like they, they, they just weren't like a team that I thought would be nine and seven, you know, and like yeah. even in the playoffs, you know, from looking at how they were playing these games, but one way or the other, they did make it there. Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, I think that they they made it there, but they were clearly outclassed. Like at the end of the day, that was the Eagles' game to lose, and they completely came out firing. Absolutely. Um, the Cowboys game. Can we talk <laughs> about that final play? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> because I didn't think, like, I had to work the next morning. I didn't think I was going to watch the full mm-hmm. game. And I'm so mm-hmm. glad I did because if you mm-hmm. like the next day, if you're like, Oh man, like you wouldn't believe what they did. I would not believe you. I'd be like, they did not do that. There's like you, that was one of those things you had to watch it to be like, what are, what is happening here? Ezekiel if, Elliott, is that center? <laughs> yeah. And if I can say as much as I enjoy when defenses do well, and this was definitely a defensive game. It does make for a slow, boring game. And that, at the end, kind of is like, oh, well, we have something to talk about. <laughs> yeah, honestly, if that play hadn't happened, it would have been a pretty just humdrum. Oh, yeah, you know, they won. Uh, the so what do you make of it? Like, well. like, break it down for us, like, watching it. Like, what do you make of it? What? How? Give, give me your justification for best you can. Justification for why they did what they did, or well, yeah, like I'm like let's go from the beginning. I want to talk about why they did what they did and what mindset, and then break break the play down for us. Like let's go through it. 
Oh, okay. Well, with the score the way that it was, they needed a touchdown. So basically, their their only options were: we need to throw a hail mary and hope it's our player who catches it in the end zone because anything short of the end zone doesn't count. And I don't remember where they were, he would have been throwing from, like his own 30 or 40 yard line. So that's a deep throw. Um, option two is you try to run some version of a hook and ladder, which yeah. as we saw with the New England Patriots can go extremely wrong and you turn the ball over. Um, well, okay. Now that, that, that like that's a, that's, that's a worst case example. scenario. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But another example also including the Patriots was the Miami miracle where they ran a hook and ladder play all the way yep. down the field and ended up scoring and winning. So yep. it's not unprecedented by any means. And I think because of uh, the way like their final drive kind of played out, uh, Dalton Schultz never got out of bounds. So that didn't kill the clock. So they lost some time uh, and then they never really got to move the ball forward from there. So I don't, I think, I think they ended up snapping it actually from around the 25, 20, six yard line on their own end of the field. So that would have been almost an 80 yard bomb, right? That's a long mm-hmm. way to ask Dak Prescott to throw. So I think mm-hmm. they decided, okay, Hail Mary's not going to work. We're going to have to do the, the hook and ladder. Yeah. But that gets us into what they did with the play. So you have Ezekiel Elliott as your center. And I don't understand. Like I get why you want him on the field 100%. Because if he can get the ball in space, like he could house it, absolutely. But putting him at the center, I'm pretty sure that made him as an ineligible receiver. So at no point could the ball ever be thrown to him. He could only be lateral to him. Would have made a lot more sense to line him up at wide and put one of your linemen in there to snap the ball. Right. Um, That was even further exemplified by the fact that he got absolutely steamrolled by the one defender who was there with him and pancaked. Um, so then we break it down to how they lined up, which was with offensive linemen out wide, who are clearly there to be blockers moving down the field. But that only makes sense if the guy getting the ball is already behind them because they threw the ball in front of the <laughs> offensive linemen. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the part that threw me off the most because it made zero sense. You threw it to a guy who had no one in between him and a defender. And they sat defenders short and deep. So anything short, middle of the field, anything like that, there was going to be a defender right there. So it would have to be like a bang, bang play. Give it to your receiver and get it out of his hands to someone else. It would have made a lot more sense to throw it out wide to one of those receivers on the outside who have the two offensive linemen just standing there ready to block for them. But instead, and, and now I don't know if it was, you know, he didn't see the defender. He felt rushed because Zeke got, absolutely destroyed and he had no one blocking for him mm-hmm. i don't know what made him throw that ball but like as soon as it left his hand and i saw where it was going i was like this guy is about to get destroyed and within a second of him catching the ball defender was literally running right through him yeah so it was just everything about that was just so flawed and i didn't understand it while i was watching it live and no matter how many times I've watched the replay, I still don't get why they did what they did. Um, because yeah, like there's, there was just no way that play was going to be successful. Well, that's kind of what's strange about it is to me. Yeah. It really seemed like is how would that play have worked? 
how how would that specifically what they were trying to do like i get he was probably rushed okay fine like that's that's understandable i just still think what what were you like what's the best case scenario for that play and i just as it was happening i'm like well that's not gonna work oh it didn't work (laughs) right like it just there was no chance i think best case scenario would have been if they had thrown it out wide right and then they move down the field because what you end up wanting to try to do is you're basically going back and forth like a ping pong ball from one side of the field to the other right and you're just trying to get someone out in space that the defense misses and forgets about and he's just left alone and then it just becomes a a sprint for the goal line right yeah um or you get a one-on-one matchup and you hope your guy can make the other guy miss and then he's home free but when you start the ball in the center of the field, like, yes, you could then go either way, but the majority of the defenders are in the middle of the field too. Yeah. So you definitely. are just throwing yourself to the wolves at that point. So the only explanation I can think of is because he had no, no blocking and he had to unleash the ball quickly. He went for just the shortest pass, which was to that receiver instead of throwing a long ball to one of the outside players. But yeah, what a mess that was. And just it, it just summed up the game for the Cowboys because like Dak Prescott threw two interceptions. One was his fault. One wasn't really the other. The second one bounced off of the defender's hands and then got intercepted by another one. Um, they had no real run game to speak of. There, there just wasn't much happening. Like you can only force feed CD Lamb so often against a talented 49ers defense. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it just doesn't both, work that way. Like both teams did, you know, have have good defenses, and it was like a, a pretty good defensive game. Um, this was another one, though. Yeah, where I think in a battle of defenses, I would give the edge to the 49ers anyway. So they kind of proved that going into it. I expected the 49ers to score a little bit more um, because their offense is so strong and has been so strong. But I mean, Dallas, give Dallas credit. They kept it close. Like they, they at least made it seem like they were in it for most of the game. But now you look at it through the lens of they were going up against a rookie quarterback who has, I think played only not even 10 games this entire season, including two now in the playoffs. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, like we talked about last week, you know, the mental side of things like these teams have been there before and stuff like that. Like the even the, lim- is, the limited experience the Cowboys have with yeah. <laughs> late season and postseason, it's still yards ahead of what Brock Purdy has because Brock Purdy hasn't even finished a full season in the NFL. See, the Dallas Cowboys are are the the Toronto Maple Leafs of football. They're beloved by many across their country. They're kind of their country's team. They have fans all over the place. America's team. America's team. They can't get it done in the playoffs. Like they they just can't do it. And I, again, I don't know. I don't know if that's a, if I'm talking, when I'm saying about the, like comparing them even to the bills, if it's a Dak Prescott problem, like, like, or a Josh Allen problem or what, or personnel, or just, you came up against a tough opponent. Dallas, can win a couple playoff games here and there, but Dak hasn't really done anything. As much as he's he's loaded up stats, he's clearly got talent. I mean, he didn't get it done, and he was going up against a stellar defense. 
Um, and then, yeah, you have a rookie quarterback with all the best weapons around him. Like his team is stacked with talent. So I think that they're able to kind of shelter him a bit by having a solid defense and then having such amazing talent around him. Um, Dallas just, it happens every year. You know, I, they, they won their game that a lot of people weren't expecting them to win last week. And then they just couldn't keep it going. Like the, they almost looked as fraudulent as the Giants did. <laughs> they almost yeah. did, but but again, in ter- I I would put Dallas slightly ahead of Buffalo and definitely ahead of the Giants in terms of keeping the game close. Like they did keep it close for a bit. They did kind of stay in it, but unfortunately, San Francisco's defense was just too much for them. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you saw the uh, extra point that was blocked. Uh, it it one hundred percent was going to miss as well, so I I was very interested in that storyline with their kicker. Oh, with the, the Dallas kicker, yeah, because yeah. of how many he missed against the Forty ers against the <laughs> Buccaneers, and then the first one that he kicks against the Forty ers If it hadn't have been blocked, it would have missed by a mile. Yeah, he won't. I don't think he'll be here next year. <laughs> no, I was surprised though that they let him kick the two field goals in the second half. Yeah. It was like, oh man, like if he misses one of them, you guys are screwed. I mean, he, he, he made them both and they both look good. So it worked out. But I was like, oh man, like, and then I am confident if they had somehow pulled off a miracle and scored, they were going for two because I don't think they were going to trust trying to get to overtime on him kicking an extra point after what they'd seen. Uh, if you're on that team, you're nervous. You're nervous Absolutely. about leaving it in that guy's hands. Like it's just, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's gone, I think. I don't think Dak Prescott would have let them. He'd be like, no, I am not getting off this field. We're going for two. Screw that guy. Yeah. I think yeah. that's where that would have gone. But it didn't end up mattering because they ran one of the worst trick plays in NFL history. Um, it reminded me of the play the Colts tried to run against the Patriots. Do you know what play I'm talking about? Uh, No. They basically like... They, they sent everyone except, I think, for the center and the quarterback. Oh, to the wide. side. Yeah. yeah. Yes, and I do remember the, this play. And then the Patriots just lined up like two or three defenders on the D-line. And then they were like, okay, well, there's one guy to block and there's two or three of us. So this is going nowhere. <laughs> and then yeah. they, they absolutely, the play went nowhere. The Patriots crushed Absolutely. them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. I know exactly what you're talking about now. Uh, and uh, yeah, ridiculous. That's what it reminded me of. Like, not quite as bad, but pretty bad. Um, So the other game to talk about is the Jaguars-Chiefs, which was actually one, probably the most entertaining game, I'd say, out of the four because of how close Mm. it was. Yeah, the Jags kept that close. That was close, definitely. Yeah, I almost, with what went on with Patrick Mahomes, I almost thought they would be able to pull it off. Even when he came uh, back, just because, just because of the injury, you mean? Yeah, because like at first, when we got the news, like you know, he he's leaving mm-hmm. and he's not going to be back until at least the second half. I was like, well, if he doesn't come back, like the Jaguars have a really good shot. And then even when he came back, he was clearly a little bit hobbled. And I, they still were playing very well. Like they were moving the ball well. They were, they they still let uh, the Chiefs score, but you know they were. They were keeping them kind of contained a little bit. And I, I think they just ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, they quite didn't just have enough firepower to go up against the Chiefs. You know, at the end of the day, the Chiefs' guns were bigger and uh, they were able to pull off the victory. But 
Yeah, of the losing teams, you got to give the most credit to the Jaguars. Like they look like they're at least going in the right direction. Oh, absolutely. It's it's amazing the difference between last year with Urban Meyer and this year with Doug Peterson. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, a difference. And next year, they're supposed to have Calvin Ridley off of suspension. Mm-hmm. That is going to make a huge difference in their passing game. Yeah. As long as he right. hasn't as as long as he hasn't lost too much from sitting the year out if he can come back and be anywhere near what he was with Atlanta mm-hmm. that is going to be great for Trevor Lawrence yeah if he definitely if he can if he can kind of get back to what he was or even a part of what he was then that would be great um you never know what taking that year off though you never know what what your body's going to go through so they'll see they took the risk they'll see what happens the Jags are definitely a team on an upward trend. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to them in the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, they, I think you're right. They just didn't have the guns that uh, Kansas city does. Yeah. I mean, we saw what happened with Sean Watson when he missed the majority of the season uh, he came back, it was not good. So I, I am a little worried about what Calvin Ridley might look like coming back, but mm. If, if he can unlock that extra level of their offense, Trevor Lawrence could take a huge step in his third season. Oh, definitely. But I'm uh, I'm interested to see, though, what happens with Mahomes' ankle. Because a high ankle sprain is... It can be difficult to play through. Because, like... And, and I'm sure you've probably seen the uh, the analysts talk about and Tony Romo made it... Mm-hmm. Like, kind of broke it down in a good way. You know, like, you can play through that when it happens they can manage that and tape it up and, you know, contain it. But the next day when all the swelling hits and everything like you, you can barely walk on the thing. So if, if, if for some reason he was not able to play in this game, like just couldn't do it. I think the chiefs run or the, the Bengals run away with it. And it's disappointing because of how good of a game it could be. But even if he does play, if he, if he's limited, the the Bengals defense is good enough. They might be able to contain him. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he, he oh, is still, definitely. even if all he can do is be a pocket passer and stand in the pocket and throw the ball, like he will still do well and he'll probably score a few touchdowns. But now you don't have that dynamic threat where, you know, he's going to take off at any second and we always need to have someone kind of waiting there to chase him down. If he does, that's someone now you could drop back into coverage and make his life a little bit more difficult. So yeah. I'm, yeah, both to me, both games are very, very intriguing, and it really comes down to can San Francisco's defense stop Philadelphia's offense enough? And then to me, on the flip side, if Mahomes is limited by an injury, can the Bengals take advantage of that and completely shut him down? Because yeah, you're right. Like if that's the case, then the Bengals could be off, you know, to the Super Bowl. Like it, it, it really it could happen again where they just are able to to do that. Now Mahomes, it's going to take a lot to drag him off that field for that game. Like he, I mean, the fact that he came back on, um, he was so adamant about being out there. I think he's going to want to play next week. So you'll see, see what happens, but he's the type that is just going to go in there. He he wants to play. He's going to play. Oh, I, I fully expect that he will play, but what version of him are we going to see, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's a good segue. Let's move into the X factors for uh, the two games coming up because uh, for the Chiefs, the X factor is Patrick Mahomes, quite frankly. 
oh without what, a doubt. what version of him are we going to get are we going to get the guy who can barely move on the field and he's just doing everything he can to avoid getting hit and contained to the pocket or are we going to get a guy who even trying to tough it out just can't do it and he's got to step out because yep. the, the chiefs offense did score without him but that is a clear step down you know like uh, Chad Henney, I think that's how his last name is pronounced. He led the one drive. They got a touchdown on it. That's all well and good for one drive. But how, are you going to be able to do that for, you know, three, four quarters, depending on how long Patrick Mahomes can tough it out if he were to leave? I, I would imagine no. Like, I, I get that, yeah, he did fine. And, and I do think the Chiefs have still some some strong, solid offensive weapons. Great, great, well-coached team. But I would say no. Like, I just don't think. They, I don't think they can survive long without Mahomes out. I really don't. No, I agree. And the other half of it is the Bengals' defense. Can they capitalize on him being hobbled and stuck in the pocket, or mm-hmm. is he going to throw all over them? Because you know they they made things difficult for uh, the Bills. Now, I mean, that was a snow game, so that does make passing a bit more difficult, anyways. But they still, they limited the opportunities for Josh Allen. They tried to contain him on the ground. They're going to do the same sort of things with uh, with Patrick Mahomes. And if he doesn't have that rushing ability, that just makes their job so much easier. And then if, if for whatever reason he was supposed to leave, well, I think they're going to destroy Chad Henney. So I, I really don't know what what to expect coming into that game until we can see probably after the first or second drive, how well Patrick Mahomes can move. But that ankle is going to be such a significant factor for every aspect of that game, unfortunately, because we know, we know Joe Burrow in the Bengals offense can put up points against uh, Kansas city's defense. Kansas city's defense is nothing scary. They're not terrible, but they're not scary either. So it's all going to come down to, you know, can the chiefs, will the chiefs have enough, firepower Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah it's it's really it's really gonna be interesting to see um it's with injuries you just never know and you hate that that becomes an x factor but it is yeah unfortunately that's just the name of the game with football yeah um so for the x factors for the eagles and 49ers so once again it's jalen hurts because now we've seen he's back to his uh his regular self, we know what we're expecting here, but now he's going up against one of the best defenses in the league, particularly against the rush. And they know that uh, the Eagles are going to be running with Jalen Hurts, so I mm-hmm. wouldn't doubt that they've got uh, they've got Bosa just tracking him, trying to get uh, keep contain on him, not let him sprint up to the side, do those rollouts that they like to do. I'm sure they'll probably have a spy sitting on him for. Uh, the event that they try to do some sort of like quarterback draw, anything like that. Um, it's it's going to come down to can he can he manage what he's doing at the line long enough that he can then exploit the 49ers secondary because the 49ers secondary is not great. Again, they're not terrible, but they're not scary to go up against. And AJ Brown, uh, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard should be able to get involved, assuming. Jalen Hurts can play strong enough that he can uh, buy himself enough time to throw the ball down the field. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's how they're going to put up points. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think you've described it perfectly. 
Yeah, so we'll see if he's able to pull that off. On the flip side of things, Brock Purdy is going to have a terrible day. So I think the real <laughs> X factor here is Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, they brought, that's a good pick. They brought him in for a reason. We've seen a huge change in their offense since he came in. And like I talked about last week with uh, Saquon Barkley, the Eagles can be beaten on the ground. So they need to get Christian McCaffrey involved heavily, whether it's through quick passes, if it's just running him right up the gut or out to the side, whatever they got to do, get him involved because that's how you're going to get ahead of this Eagles defense. Because if Brock Purdy, as much as I love Brock Purdy and think he has done an amazing job this year, this is probably one of the toughest secondaries that he's going to have to go against. And they love to sack and rush and pressure the quarterback. So they are going to make his life as much of a living hell as possible. So I don't think that they're going to want to lean on him too much. They're going to want to get the ball out of his hands very quickly. So taking that focus off of him and saying, like, look, you have to focus on Christian McCaffrey or he is going to torch you. That's, I think, the way that they're able to overcome this Eagles defense. Because this, quite frankly, could end up being the shootout that Dallas San Francisco wasn't because in both of both these games, we had two teams with great defense going against each other, but now we've got two teams with amazing offenses going against each other too. So hopefully the offensive side wins out of it and we get a really exciting game of football out of it. Yeah, it could be. I mean, you're right. This is why you trade for McCafferty. This is why you spend all that capital to bring him in. So you want him to be an X factor in this game. Um, I think it's going to be close, regardless of if it's a you know if it's a becomes a complete and total offensive game or a defensive game. I think both teams will keep it close. I think they're good enough. Um, I think all four teams that are left are really the four best teams in the NFL over the past couple of months. Like these were the teams that turned it on at the right time. They've been good for the past couple of of uh, weeks leading into the playoffs. So I think it's going to be good, but Christian McCaffrey, I think is the perfect pick because Brock Purdy, I don't think he's going to have as terrible as a game as, as you like. I'm a little more confident in, in maybe Brock Purdy. Um, but uh, I do think that Christian McCaffrey, this is what you bring him here for. He's a little bit older. He's got the experience. This is kind of his coming out party. For, for a player who has been on a bad team for so long. Now you're here. Now you have a chance. I don't think Brock Purdy's reputation can be can be ruined by this game because the expectations for him clearly are low. Um, so I think it's your other players that have to step up. Christian McCaffrey's got to have a, a fantastic game. Oh, yeah. Like, unless Brock Purdy throws nothing but interceptions, there's probably <laughs> very little that he can do that would make you look at like, okay, this guy's terrible because of everything we've seen so far. Like there is going to be, if, if the 49ers win this game and they get to the Super Bowl, there's going to be a serious conversation. What are we doing next year at quarterback with Trey Lance and Brock Purdy? They have to already be having that conversation. Like I understand that, that, you know, this game may impact it a bit, but it, on my end, I'm already saying he's a starter. It's, it's the top, it's the final four. What else do you want a team to do? Obviously win the Super Bowl, but only, as far as I'm concerned, they're only hanging out one, handing out one Super Bowl this year. Maybe they changed that, but only one team can win a Super Bowl. So the other teams that made it here, you made it here on something, and Brock Purdy has done a fantastic job for being Mr. Nobody. So I, I personally think they have to at least be considering 
having a conversation about him next year. Like they, Trey Lance, he's a, he's a great young quarterback. He got hurt. That sucks. That's, you know, it's not his fault, but you know, do you give him a chance? Do you not? I don't know what the heck they do with Jimmy G, but you know, you've got, you got three guys here and you're going to have to do something with them. I would love to be the general manager of 49ers. I would love it because you, right. I would be trading one of these three guys this well, off season I, to a team who's desperate for a quarterback. I might be wrong. I think Jimmy G just came back for a one-year deal, so he might be free to leave on his own after this oh, season. Oh, is he? Oh, okay. I, I'm not 100% on that, but I think that is the case. Um, so that leaves them with just Trey Lance and Brock Purdy. Because even if I'm wrong and Jimmy G was to come back, they're not keeping him now that no, they've they, seen what they have with Brock Purdy. No. Um, so it's going to come down to those two. And the majority of the opinion that I've seen is that they should bench Purdy and see what they have with Trey Lance. And I'm actually of the opposite opinion because you've had Trey Lance now for, I think, two seasons, not got to see very much out of him because of uh, just the way that the offense was run originally. And then this season, he played one full game, I think, and like a quarter, not even, of the second game. So he now has an ankle injury that he's had to have two surgeries on this season alone. Mm-hmm. And you drafted him to be a mobile rushing quarterback. He might not be able to do that now, depending on how the recovery from all of this shakes out. His rushing ability might be severely limited. And now we have no idea what he's like as a pocket passer, if that's something that they can even run with. So I would almost, you know, sell Trey Lance on the story. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a... He's a high draft capital guy. He's a mobile quarterback. Like there's all these good things, but we just happen to have struck gold twice, you know, and we're going yeah. with the other guy because he got us to the conference championship or to the Super Bowl or whatever. This season ends up being for Brock Purdy because yes, I, I have no doubt Brock Purdy's success is based on all of the elite options that they have around him, but those options aren't going anywhere next year, at least not all of them. So he will still have those options. And if he can run it this year, he can run it next year. Okay. And then even if you only get two or three years out of Brock Purdy, and you're like, okay, it's, you know, the wheels are starting to fall off. So let's look again for a new one. Yeah. You will, you will get a lot of draft capital for Trey Lance and you'll be able to reinvest that back into the team. Yes. I see. I'm in a hundred percent agreement with you. That's exactly what I would do. I would keep Brock. Yeah, look at that. Move Trey Lance. Yeah. Podcast over. Um, (laughs) we've accomplished the goal. No, that's exactly what I would be doing. And I would even take it a step further because I'm not naive enough to, to, to think, okay, I can survive on one quarterback. I'm re-signing Jimmy Garoppolo if he's on a one-year deal and, and, and going to him and being like, listen, yeah, Purdy gets hurt. If he struggles, I'm putting in another person I can trust. And I would go with Brock Purdy and Jimmy Garoppolo. You need, you need two quarterbacks in this league now. With oh, I I fully with agree with you. Yeah, and then I would I would do the same thing. Move Trey Lance, pick up draft capital, pick up maybe a player or two, whatever you can get for him. Invest that back in the team to strengthen your O line. Add another piece to to an already solid defense. Make sure that you you know get one more offensive weapon in there. Right, like you can do a lot with with some draft capital, bring in some young players, and put them into the mix. So that would be exactly what I would do. There you have it. We finally agreed on something. 
Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, we'll finish off the rest of this episode. They're talking about how the wide receivers finished this year. Um, it'll be in half point PPR scoring. And so at uh, the top of the list, number one finish this season was Justin Jefferson. Um, bit of a, a slower start for him after, uh, I think it was after week one, he kind of had a bit of a bit of a rough patch, you know, where people were a little worried. But hey, at the end of the day, he ended up being the number one receiver on the year. He averaged just shy of 18 fantasy points a game for you. Um, he was running relatively deeper routes, you know, like uh, his average yards for target were 10 yards down the field. So it's not like he was getting just quick dink and dunk passes. Mm-hmm. Um, 128 receptions. That's a great, like that. that's the kind of guy you want, especially if you're in a PPR league, you want the guy who's getting fed the ball a lot. Um, surprisingly right behind him at number two, Devontae Adams. That was a big question mark throughout a big portion of the season. And Devontae Adams probably really hurt you in the fantasy playoffs. So yeah. <laughs> you, you, you being told that he actually finishes the number two is probably of little consolation to you because I didn't of how even that have ended him up. And I'm surprised. <laughs> like I, yeah. didn't, I didn't even have him and I'm, I'm kind of surprised he ended up too. Yeah. And I, on only a hundred, uh, only 100 receptions on the year. He finished with yeah. 285.5 fantasy points, but he had 14 touchdowns. That's yeah, where he made it. Yeah. yeah, he was very uh, consistent with the touchdowns. And uh, again, yeah, he finishes number two, but he also potentially lost you a chance at the championship based on how he performed in the uh, in the fantasy playoffs. So just keep that in mind. You know, at the end of the day, just because they finish they finish highly doesn't mean that they finished highly every week. So at number three, we had Tyreek Hill uh, just behind uh, Devonte Adams with 284.4 points. Another player. He was very boom bust. He only had seven touchdowns on the year. So he really made you all of your points through uh, those deep passes that he caught because um, he had over a hundred 170 more yards than uh, Devonte Adams on the year but half the touchdowns, you know? So that's kind of one of those streaky players. Uh, he also played one less game than Devontae Adams, mm. but that's one of those streaky players, you know, like we saw one week, Jalen Waddle was the top guy. The next week it was Tyreek Hill back and forth. Some weeks it was both of them, but it was usually one or the other. Um, certainly someone that you're going to want to pay attention to moving forward though. It's a, uh, a great setup that they have down there, especially if two is back and healthy and you get a full season out of them. That is yeah. a great offense that you want a fantasy part of. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Stefan Diggs at number four on the year with 262.6 points. Uh, again, like he, he had some weeks where things went off the rails. Uh, and in the, the fantasy playoffs, he had a couple, he had one bad game, I think of the fantasy playoffs. Um, but he uh, 11 touchdowns. Like if, if you get a receiver who's getting double digit touchdowns, it's hard to be upset with them. You know, even if, if every now and then they, they do have that bad game targeted over a hundred times. That's what you want. You want the guys who are getting targeted a lot and who can get in the end zone. If they hit those two things, they're going to be a top 10 wide receiver without question. Oh yeah. There, there's no question that, that if that's going to happen, you're going to get into the top 10. 
Um, and like, I tell you, it just, it, in, it increases your trade value to be able to do those different things. So yeah, works. Absolutely. And, and that's an interesting stat to look at that we'll probably talk about more come draft season. Yeah. Uh, is uh, a team's target share, you know, mm-hmm. if, because if he's averaging, let's say nine targets a game, or let's, let's say 10 targets a game and the quarterback's only throwing 20 passes a game. Well, he's got a 50% target share. Now, obviously that's completely unrealistic. Nobody ever has a 50% target share, at least not over a season, but that's, you, you want the guy who has the highest percent of the target share, because that's where the ball is consistently going a lot more than everyone else. And you see that with these elite options with Devonte Adams, Justin Jefferson, Tyree Hill, Stefan Diggs, but you can find them in kind of like the more middler rounds, you know, like, Maybe that team doesn't have that elite guy, but they have the guy that they trust. You know, like uh, what we kind of thought with Christian Kirk. You know what I mean? Like he's by far, he's not an elite wide receiver, but he's a guy that Trevor Lawrence throws the ball to a lot. So that's valuable. Again, especially in a PPR league, because you get those points off their receptions. Even if he's only catching it for five or six yards, you still get the point or the half point for the reception. Yeah, Um, and... Yeah, no, that, no, that makes sense. I was about to ask a question, but I actually think I understand what you're saying. Never mind. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, on second thought, that makes sense. <laughs> good. Um, at number five, we had A.J. Brown, uh, 255.6 fantasy points. He had 11 touchdowns on the year, only 88 receptions. So he was very, uh, very efficient with the targets that he did get from Jalen Hurts. I mean, we saw... Plenty of that uh, just wide open down the field, catching bombs from Jalen Hurts. Uh, C.D. Lamb at number six with 248.1 fantasy points. I expected him to be a bit higher, honestly. Yeah? Yeah, just just looking at the year he had, I I would have thought he would have been actually higher than seven. I thought he might have made it into the top five. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, he wasn't off by much. One touchdown really would have changed that for him. Or another 60 yards. Um, but again, that's someone like the target share is there. He has a huge amount of the target share for the Cowboys. That Those are the kind of guys that you want to target. Same with the next guy, like Amon Ross St. Brown for Detroit. He had 214.6 fantasy points. Uh, only six touchdowns. Um, and here's where you kind of see that divide. So those first six players... Um, minus C.D. Lamb, all 250-plus points, and C.D. Lamb was just shy of that mark. And then we have a significant drop down to 214. So you can kind of see there's a tier there of the quality of the wide receiver. So like we've got like tier one there, and then we've got this middle tier where you know they're in the t- low 200s, high 100 points. And that's something else that we'll talk about in draft uh, season is there's a... There's a quality to these receivers that you want to prioritize taking them at a certain point versus someone else just because of what they can deliver. Because Justin Jefferson at number one versus Owen Ross St. Brown at number seven, that's a 90 point fantasy difference. Yeah. Just six yeah. fantasy big spots, difference. right? Yeah, it's a really big difference. Um, but we'll touch on more about that uh, come the uh, draft 
season episodes. Uh, number eight, Jalen Waddle, 213.9 fantasy points, eight touchdowns, only 70 receptions. So again, he was very efficient with his. Uh, Devontae Smith, uh, 207.1 fantasy points, seven touchdowns, 95 receptions. I actually don't remember the last time that we had two receivers from the same team in the top 10 for fantasy. And this year we had two two separate teams with two top 10 receivers for fantasy with mm. Miami and Philly. So yeah. those are two offenses you want to pay attention to. Again, a lot of that is going to revolve around Tua and should he be able to play a full season. But those are offenses that you want parts of. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think, yeah, I think with Tua, it's really going to come down to how does he bounce back from this injury? Um, and can he stay healthy? And what that kind of looks like, because if so, that's another potent offense for next year uh, to keep your eye on in fantasy, without a doubt. Absolutely, especially if uh, the Dolphins don't improve their defense, because that's what you look for in your fantasy quarterbacks a lot of the time is a bad defense and a strong quarterback, because he always has to keep putting points on the board so they don't lose the game because the defense can't help him out. And that was kind of the situation that the Dolphins were in like the defense is not I mean by no means were they absolutely terrible but they weren't great either so Tua kind of had to keep making these plays so they could win games yeah yeah um at number 10 we had Amari Cooper with 200.9 fantasy points nine touchdowns only 76 receptions uh, I think his quality of play kind of dropped a bit once Deshaun Watson came into the picture because the whole offense kind of took that step back but maybe that's something they fix throughout the offseason and they kind of get more used to playing with each other. Uh, Number 11, Christian Kirk. We already spoke about him, but 199.9 fantasy points, eight touchdowns, 84 receptions. Mm -hmm. Jamar Jamar Chase, probably a pretty disappointing finish considering where you likely drafted him. Definitely within the first two rounds. Uh, Wide receiver 12 on the year with 198.9 fantasy points. (laughs) So his his Jamar Chase's average draft position was in the first round with the ninth pick. That that's a significant draft capital. Christian Kirk, average draft position, ninth round, tenth pick. Yeah. So you could have skipped over Jamar Chase, gone all the way down to Christian Kirk in the ninth round, picked him, and at the end of the at the end of the year your fantasy point difference would have been one point different. Mm-hmm. Now that's largely in part because of Jamar Chase's injury. He only played in 12 games this season. So I'm sure if he played a full 17 games, he would have been in that top six. Absolutely. But that's the cards that, uh, that were dealt, you know, that's, that's part of fantasy football. You can't, you can't predict that. Look at Cooper cup. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, it perfect is example. <laughs> yep. It, it is what it is, unfortunately. And, all the draft capital in the world isn't going to save you if they go out and get hurt. Um, at number 13, Tyler Lockett, 195.3 points, nine touchdowns, only 84 receptions. Terry McLaurin, surprisingly, at number 14, 190.5 yard, uh, fantasy points, only five touchdowns and 77 receptions. So he was getting a lot of his points just through the yardage because he he didn't have a huge amount of receptions and he was not scoring. So he was just making it, making the most out of every catch, really. 
Uh, Brandon Ayuk at number 15 with 188.8, eight touchdowns, 78 receptions. Mike Evans at number 16 with 186.9, six touchdowns and 77 receptions. T. Higgins at 17, 183.9, seven touchdowns and 74 receptions. DK Metcalf, 181.8 fantasy points, six touchdowns, 90 receptions. See, this is that middle or that second and third tier of wide receiver that you want to, uh, that you can target later in the round and they're still going to deliver great value for you. You know, they're, they're not usually the star of their team, but they're the guys who still get the ball consistently, you know, like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, they were, they finished within five, uh, five fantasy ranks between each other. And the difference in their points was about 14 points. So if you drafted either one of them, you were probably fine. Yeah. And, and probably happy with what they did. Probably we, got so. Mike, we got Mike Evans here at 16. We got Chris Godwin at 19 with 170.8 points, only three touchdowns. So that was a bit of a disappointing year. You were probably expecting more from Chris Godwin, especially after last season. But that is what it is. You know, Tom Brady's one year older. Their offense struggled a lot more this year. They weren't quite that effective, uh, that effective offense that we were used to seeing. And Chris Godwin was coming back from his injury and kind of had to slowly work back into it and get back up to his full speed. So uh, Jerry Judy for Denver at number 20 with 170.7 fantasy points, six touchdowns and a hundred receptions. And Cooper Cup, considering he only played in nine games, he finished as the wide receiver 22. Missing half of, just shy of half of the season. Wow. And he, and he just finished just outside of the top 20. Because, I mean, he, he was wide receiver one when he left, yeah. right? He, yeah. I am sure he would have finished as the wide receiver one by far and away. So even then, like, yes, you're... Your team definitely took a big shot, but you probably did very well in those nine weeks that you had Cooper Cup. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he is a, an elite dynamic player. He's what you expected when you drafted Jonathan Taylor in the first round. That's yeah. the impact that you expected him to have, not what Jonathan Taylor did. Um, and so hopefully he's back next year. Everything's good. And then he's back to posting just insane numbers. Like he had just shy of 100 receptions in nine games uh the highest ahead of him was just jefferson with a full 17 games he only had 30 more receptions than cooper cup with wow. nine extra games yeah yeah so cooper cup would have smashed all of those metrics if he had played a full season it it's unfortunate yeah. unfortunate that we didn't get to see it but it is what it is uh, but we'll stop there with just the top 20 wide receivers. Um, if you guys have any fan questions for us, reach out to us through social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can go to conqueredraft.com. You can fill out uh, the form on our podcast page, or you can email us directly at contact at conqueredraft.com. Uh, next week, we're going to go over the uh, conference championship games, and we're going to talk running backs and how they performed uh, in fantasy this year. Take care, guys. Stay safe.